You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. This is episode 74. So uh, today's episode, I want to talk to you about hip fractures. This is a, um, a discussion that I, I have with a lot of patients and patients' family members when people are admitted to the hospital. Uh, and I also get questions when people come, they've had a hip fracture that was treated elsewhere, and they come in with lots of questions. Um, so I sort of go through this whole discussion. Um, Hopefully, you and nobody close to you uh, has to go through hip fracture and hip fracture treatment or hip fracture surgery. But if that should happen, I think listening to this uh, will be really helpful just to kind of let you know what's coming and what to expect. Um, and it also may teach you um, and inform you of some things that you can do or you can do for a loved one that might prevent them from falling and developing a hip fracture that gets them in this situation in the first place. So hip fractures, and, and in this spe- specific discussion, we're going to talk mainly about you know older patients, not the, the young motorcycle accident hip fracture victim, but in patients over the age of 65, there's approximately 300,000 hip fractures in the United States per year. And a large majority of them, almost 75%, are in females. So the scary thing that I always have to discuss with patients, though, and this is why this is such an important and big topic, is that if you're admitted in the United States to a hospital with a hip fracture, approximately 5% of those people will die and never leave the hospital. And 25% of those people in the first year following their hip fracture and hip fracture surgery may die. And those are really, really scary numbers. So, you know, I tell people a lot of times when you hear about, you know, uncle, friend, neighbor, mother, father that's admitted to the hospital with a stroke or a heart attack, I think right away there's a lot more concern and worry. But when people are admitted to the hospital with a hip fracture, you know, as I say, oh, it's just a broken bone. They'll fix it and they'll be out of there. And honestly, it's not typically the bone that leads to these bad complications such as death. You know, things can happen to the bone. Any Anytime that you have surgery of any sort, you can get an infection. If you're fixing a fracture, you can get what's called a non-union where the bone doesn't heal. Uh, if you have an implant, uh, like a hip or partial hip replacement, it can dislocate. Um, or you can even fall and break the bone, um, even below where the hardware went in. More often, what happens to a lot of these patients, which can result in death um, or other complications, are the other organ systems. So in the hospital, you can have an issue with your pulmonary system, your lungs. You can develop pneumonia. You can have a history, an issue with your heart system. You can have a heart attack or develop an arrhythmia. You can have an issue with your neurologic system, your brain, and have a stroke. You can have issues with the urinary system, so your bladder and kidneys, and develop a urinary tract infection, retention. Your skin can have an issue. Being in bed can lead to a decubit eye, which can get infected. Your GI tract, you can get constipated. The vascular system, you can get a a blood clot, what we call venothromboembolic disease, in the legs or even in the lung. 
So when we talk about all of these systems, if you are in a hospital and you have more than one system that starts to go down, you're developing what we call multi-system organ failure. You know, and each of those things in its own doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you take an older person who has a traumatic injury, who's taken to a hospital by ambulance, and then two or three of these things happen, it can lead to a lot of bad complications. So our goal is to prevent the fall and hip fracture in the first place. That's the goal. Um, But reality is that some of these people will still fall. Now, if you fall and break your hip, um, the other sad information that I always give to people, and I, I tell people I like people that break the rules because a lot of patients will lose what we call a function grade, meaning. So if you're an everyday normal walker in the community and you break your hip and you have surgery, you more than likely will need a cane the rest of your life. And if you were already walking on a cane for some reason and then fall and break your hip, you are more than likely to need a walker the rest of your life. And if somebody was on a walker already and falls and breaks their hip, there's a good chance that person might be wheelchair-bound the rest of their life. And again, those are really scary things to have to hear when all of these things are going on, um, but that's the truth and that's the reality. So I always tell my patients, I love it when they break the rules. So if you're not using a cane walker and you break your hip and recover and get rid of it, that's great. I'm proud of that patient. And sometimes it is a functionality of the fall or the injury, surgery, You know, people always think about the bone, but they kind of forget that you can damage the muscle and the tissue and the ligaments and tendons around the area of the hip when you fall and break it. And we may not always be able to repair it back to normal. And for a lot of patients, there's a huge fear of falling again. So I have a lot of patients that physically can walk without a walker, but they just say they feel so much safer being attached to the walker because they're afraid of falling again. So, so that's the real kind of concern and the reality of going forward of the surgery. Now, as far as treatments, there's a number of treatments, and it really depends on the kind of fracture that you have. So there's very, very few instances where we treat hip fractures non-operatively. Um, so there's a few instances in young patients that have certain stress fractures that you can you know, monitor closely. Um, and sometimes people are, you know, if they're too old, too sick, to have surgery, sometimes the risks of anesthesia are too great, but the vast majority of patients are going to have surgery of some sort if you have a hip fracture. Now, this is where it gets complicated because, you know, you've heard the story of so-and-so breaking their hip and this is what they had. So the decisions that we make are really based on where and what kind of fracture a person has. So usually in elderly patients, um, what we call fragility fractures, this is a fall from a standing height where you trip and fall and go down. If you break the structure of what's called the femoral neck, so there's the ball, and then there's the neck, and then there's the bump on the side of your hip called the trochanter, and then the shaft. So if you break the neck, which is below the ball, and it's not displaced um, or not complete, sometimes we can do what's called percutaneous pinning, where you make a small incision or through little poke holes and put screws across the neck. Think of it as shish kebabing, like the head together. And those screws help anchor and hold the head into place so it doesn't shift or move, and then it should hopefully heal, which typically takes 10 to 12 weeks. Now, occasionally, if somebody has a hip fracture a little bit lower down, um, where the bump is, what we call the trochanters, then depending on how stable or unstable the fracture pattern is, this is something that we have to determine looking at the x-ray, we can either put a side plate with screws 
or a rod that goes inside the thigh bone and a screw that goes through. It looks like the number seven where the screw bolts through the rod to help anchor everything in place. And those are also used for sometimes even a slightly lower fracture, what's called a subtroke fracture, which is a fracture below the bump. And those can be very, very difficult to put back together. Um, but that rod tends to offer the best support for it. Now, what about hip replacements or partial hip replacements? So if somebody has a fracture up on the neck and the neck is displaced, you know, then the decision is whether or not you replace the hip. So we can do what's called a partial hip replacement, what's also referred to as a hemiarthroplasty. So you're removing the broken ball, and then you're putting a post inside the thigh bone, which is typically glued, but in some instances may be what's called press fit or squeezed into the bone. And attached to that goes typically a metal ball, which is the size of the broken ball, which is removed. And in some patients, um, especially if they have pre-existing arthritis, or if somebody is very you know, young, functional, but has this kind of hip fracture, uh, the results show that patients with hip replacements actually do better um, than with partials. So with the, we then go and do the same thing on the thigh bone side. Something gets squeezed inside the thigh bone with an artificial ball on top. But then you also clean out the cup and put a metal cup in. So if you listen to my total hip replacement um, podcast episode, that'll talk to you more about those specifics. But it's a cup on the cup side that has a plastic liner typically and then a post inside the thigh bone with a ball on top. And each one of these has its risks and benefits. You know, if you have screws um, or plates or a rod, you're still waiting for the bone to heal. And sometimes even if the bone heals, um, hardware can become prominent, painful. And even if the bone heals, sometimes the ball can actually collapse or die, what we call avascular necrosis or osteonecrosis. And that would require something like a hip replacement. And if you have a joint replacement, a partial or full hip replacement, you know, that comes with all the same risks as far as dislocation um, and other fractures. And any of these can get infected. So all of these um, injuries uh, can have ups and downs. And you have to treat it based on the patient and based on the x-rays. A very more, a very common, um, what we would necessarily call a complication, but a lot of patients see as a complication after hip fracture surgery, there was a leg length discrepancy. So it's a known complication risk when we do hip replacements, uh, because sometimes for stability reasons, we have to make the leg longer. But a lot of times when you squeeze bones together, you know, it's never really a clean break. You know, you, you break it, there's lots of pieces, we have to put it back together. And when those pieces can press, uh, and some people more so than others, that can lead to shortening of the leg. And sometimes if it's very noticeable and problematic, you may need a shoe lift, but you can't stretch the bones apart because if you keep them apart, they'll never heal. So it's a lot of information. Um, and I, I hope again that, you know, you don't have to go through this or someone close to you doesn't have to go through this, but I think it's good to hear this and understand that if they are um, admitted somewhere with a hip fracture, these are the things that you have to be, you know, aware about and obviously talk to the the team there, because um, there's going to be more specifics based on the patient. But I think the other big important takeaway is what can you do to prevent one of these fragility falls and one of these potential you know, needs for surgery and potential complications? So number one, best thing to do is be screened for osteoporosis. You know, there's some institutions where they've been able to cut the fracture rate in their patients by more than 50% simply by looking for screening for osteoporosis and treating those patients that meet that criteria. And if you have osteopenia, it may be as simple as weight-bearing exercise and supplementing with vitamin D. But if you do have osteoporosis, there may be a medication that can help make your bones stronger or at least slow down the, the further loss of bone over time. Um, and the other important thing, 
Make sure that your house is safe. You know, are there throw rugs where you can trip and stumble? Are there cords every which way? And I've even had patients over the years, I've had, you know, patients that unfortunately have fallen over their oxygen tubing. So sometimes there's, you know, tubes that you need for other medical reasons, but you have to be careful and aware of those. Bathroom, super, super dangerous place. Um, If you own your house or, you know, even if you're renting, see if it's possible that you can put rails in, um, in the bathroom, sticky mats that don't slip. So you're less likely to slip and fall in the tub or slip in the shower. Uh, And, you know, just making sure that you do not get up on ladders. I can't tell you how many times I've had, you know, older patients, you know, they get up on the ladder to reach things on the top shelf or in the garage and they slip and fall. And, you know, the kids are always like, I don't know why they even had the ladder. You get rid of the ladder, you know, put everything within arm's reach so people don't have to go up on ladders to get those things down. Um, Next thing, balance, balance training. You know, I've talked about this before. Um, even it's been shown um, Tai Chi and Qigong and those kinds of exercises can really help with balance. And if you train in balance, um, you might be less likely to trip and fall. Get your eyesight checked. You know, if you haven't been to the eye doctor in a while, get your eyesight checked. You know, cataracts and other eye problems that might be fixable or correctable um, can help you see where you're going and prevent the risk of a fall. So, you know, just a number of of things that you want to look for um, to try to improve the strength of your bone and improve the potential safety of your house uh, and also improve your physical ability as far as balance and being able to see well. And all of those may help prevent a potential fall, uh, which also can lead to a hip fracture and have all these all these things happen. So, um, you know, hopefully this is helpful and informative. Uh, you might know someone, maybe you have a friend whose, you know, parent is going through a hip fracture. They might find this helpful. So, you know, forward this link on to them. And if you should run into this with someone in the future, at least you're somewhat aware of what they may be going through and also might even help you have questions that you could ask their surgical team, you know, as far as what kind of injury they had and what type of treatment they're recommending. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, stay stay safe. You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.